Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. The billion-dollar trial between Google and Uber over self-driving car technology is set to kick off next week. It's poised to be the biggest intellectual property trial of the year. A little later in the show, my co-host and senior IP reporter, Bill Donahue, is going to walk us through what we need to know about the case. Then, at the end of the show, we'll share an update on the latest legal drama facing rapper DMX. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. Got a lot to do today, Bill. You guys are going to hear show. a lot from me. Yep, and Alex Lawson. Dilly dilly, I say. Wow. <laughs> so uh, you guys excited for the Super Bowl? I mean, this, well, this clearly I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got, I've got all the Bud Light in my fridge. Yep. Bill, are you, are you prepared? I for... do like the idea that you signed like a guerrilla marketing deal with Bud Light, like you're an influencer. Oh, did, you, did you guys not hear that they sponsored? Now, I guess I have to disclose that. <laughs> <laughs> FCC stuff. Uh, Hashtag ad. Yeah. Right. Uh, no. Well, first of all, are you, you, you have to be prepared for the Bud Light commercial where they say Philly, Philly. I've seen this. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I don't know. The yeah, commercials I mean, are the only part I'm really looking forward to, guys. Yeah. Um, I actually have a I'm, – I'm, I've not placed any wagers on the game yet because um, that's extremely illegal and nobody should do that. Um, but uh, I have a friendly bet about whether or not Janet Jackson's going to show up at halftime sure. with Justin Timberlake. Oh, that would be good. He had a – Fully clothed. Well, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of, you know – there's been a lot of like second guessing about who really you know was at fault there, right? Um, in the in the oh yeah right because it, it was him yeah in yeah, the yeah. intervening years anyway yeah. uh, he had like a press conference today that said there there will be no in sync reunion and there will be no Janet Jackson appearance but I'm not paying up until it happens I mean that that's exactly what I would say if I wanted to surprise people with right. certain certain although appearances. he doesn't really have a big incentive to have the in sync reunion because yeah, didn't he do know. that on an, uh, like the Grammys or maybe the MTV Music Awards or something a few years ago I know that well. No, I can't remember, but I did. I love some JT, so I remember I, I'm pretty sure you did. The, one of the wildest Super Bowl halftimes ever, I can't remember. I think I was in high school, but it was like NSYNC, Nelly, Britney Spears. I remember wow. that one, yeah. And some other, and like, it was like, everybody it feels from, like you melted um, down the year 2000. And like, <laughs> was it was like say, Aerosmith. Like, it was like the Aerosmith, yeah. like, like dad rock resurgence sure. thing. That was pretty wild. Um, so, I don't know. Speaking of the music and coming of age in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what about it? <laughs> uh, a court ruled this week that Tinder, uh, by charging people over the age of 30 more money, had violated California state age discrimination laws. Oh, that's pretty wild. Yeah, so it was it was a pretty fun ruling. Um, so just to, to this ruling is going to make everyone feel old. Let's start with that. Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 throw a necktie around the doorknob and get into this thing. So back in 2015, Tinder rolled out this thing called Tinder Plus, yeah. where like you could. It like let you undo swipes and everything else, and it was like a premium package. So, th- but th- the thing that made headlines was not these premium features; it was the way that Tinder was charging to use them. Okay. So, they were charging nine ninety nine, which you know, if you want those kind of features in your dating app, seem reasonable for people under the age of thirty. Oh, for huh. people above the age of thirty, they were charging nineteen ninety nine. I, this is the moment in a podcast where I'm like, I'm so glad I'm married and oh, don't yeah. have to deal with oh, these yeah. dating apps. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you hear me just reference like the way you hook up in a college dorm <laughs> because I've been with the same person for eight years? Yeah, anyway. so we're very glad that we didn't have to deal with this. But this on the face of it seems like people would immediately be very upset about this disparity in that pricing plan. Yeah, so it pretty quickly dawned on 
plaintiff's attorneys and other people that that this maybe would would lead to a, a claim of of uh, age discrimination. So this guy named Alan Candelor filed the current case in May 2015, just a few months after um, this new pricing came out, claiming that it violated California civil rights laws that that prevent uh, that 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 make it illegal to discriminate based on a whole bunch of things, but one of which is age. What was the state? What, what was Tinder's stated reason for pricing it this way? I okay, mean, so th- Tinder said that they that 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 this was based and because it gets into what their defense was. Right, yeah, Tinder says that this was based on market research, which you know wouldn't make it arbitrary, wouldn't make it because of yeah. age that it, you know it correlated with age, but it was because younger people were unwilling to spend money those goddamn millennials yeah <laughs> and right. older people were more willing to do so to to get these better these better features people so, in their 30s are just swimming in disposable cash that right, they use to right. meet people on the internet i can say that <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay. um so the court basically said that like you you can point to this market research but you're still basing that like you could have you could have just done it based on people who have money and who don't have money but you can't do it based on like like you can offer a cheaper option. You can offer tiers or right. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. the the court came came out with their ruling this week, and it, it, it was interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, the 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 power quote getting to what we were just saying was quote No matter what Tinder's market research may have shown about mm-hmm. younger users' relative income and willingness to pay for the service, as a group, as compared to the older cohort, some individuals will not fit that mold. Some older consumers will be more budget constrained and less willing to pay than the younger group. So, and they they said that there was no, you know, that this could still be allowed if they came up with some public policy explanation, but they, you know, that they hadn't seen it. Yeah. Um, So this sends it back to the trial court. It basically just overturned a motion to dismiss. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot to do. And conceivably, Tinder could still offer up these explanations for why they need to do this. Um, But the judge basically said like if if you're doing this as alleged and it's pretty clear that they are i mean it's like yeah. on their website how much it costs uh that th- that that would be illegal um so the judge had this this great line where <laughs> because quote because nothing in the complaint suggests that there's a strong public policy that justifies the alleged discriminatory pricing the trial court erred accordingly we swipe left and reverse Nice. Oh, how cute are they? I like when judges like to get cute, you know? Swiping left is the bad one, right? Swiping left is bad, <laughs> correct. Is, is the rejection. Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually good because I never, people like use that as like a colloquialism for like agreeing or disagreeing with something. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I never actually remember what the good, because I've never used this, the app. I never remember what the good or bad one is. Alex but, is really just, just hammering home the point that he hasn't used the app. <laughs> now I know. It's almost like. Just, uh, listeners, yeah. we need you to know that Alex has never used the dating app. <laughs> I'll surrender Guys, my phone. Married, married as hell. I'll, su- I'll, I'll surrender my phone to anybody. Uh, but yeah, well, now I know. A ha- handy little mnemonic there from, uh, from, from the California Appeals Court. So we're going to take a sharp turn into yeah. talking about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which we've talked about on the show before. But what's going on with them now, Alex? Yeah, we're sitting over here for like two minutes trying to think of like a way to There's go no from Tinder to, to, to financial oversight. Yeah. I can't do it. So we're just going to talk about it. Um, our friends at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau have had an eventful few months. You may uh-huh. remember we talked about um, this really weird political battle that the agency found itself in over the rights to, uh, you know, the right to its vacant uh, directorship. Yeah, um, we had people vying to uh, get curry favor with. Donuts I think Game of Thrones the on the Potomac is the name of that, of that episode. It if is. you want to go back, go back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good, but. 
all along, the agency has been involved in an even higher stakes battle. It's a constitutional uh, legal fight right. um, over an issue that gets right to the core of its role as an independent financial regulator. Right. A more existential. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we got a bit of closure on that this week uh, with an appeals court decision um, that is really going to, I think, please a lot of the agency's uh, supporters and backers. So CFPB was a lightning rod long before the Trump administration what what was what was happening here with this case that that led to this ruling? Yeah, so for just the brief, you know, two second background, the agency grew out of the Dodd Frank reforms in the wake of the financial crisis, and Republican lawmakers and the banking lobby have basically been trying to kill it or neuter it ever since ever since its inception. The provision of the agency's charter that was uh, of interest in this case was to do with the president's power to remove the director. The CFPB's rules say that he can that the president can only fire the CFPB director um, for cause. Mm-hmm. The actual the actual standard in the law that uh, that created the agency is the CFPB director can only be fired for inefficiency, neglect of duty, or malfeasance. This is a much higher bar than exists for cabinet level agencies. Right. And just to be clear, to clarify for listeners, the thing we were talking about earlier, the power fight was just because the guy left. Oh, Trump yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. fire him. There was nothing. This is a totally separate. Issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, th- th- this this case reaches back to like 2014. Right. Exactly. And this was like, it's a, like, like you say, a much more existential yep. threat. Uh, basically, any other department head can be removed at will at mm-hmm. the president's whim. Um, and in October 2016, um, a D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals, the the three-judge panel said that's unconstitutional, violates Article 2 of the Constitution, which says that the president has, um, you know, has the right to make sure laws are effectively implemented and carried out. So that's what the three-judge panel said. This week, we got got an en banc decision from Mm -hmm. all 10 judges on the D.C. court, and they reversed them. Um, They basically said, you know, this is in line uh, with the Constitution and that you know, for it to be a truly independent federal regulator, it should be it, it should be divorced from, you know, partisanship and politics sure. and stuff like that. The money quote is is as follows. Congress's decision to provide the CFPB director a degree of insulation reflects its permissible judgment that civil regulation of consumer financial protection should be kept one step removed from political wins and presidential will. This sounds like a really big victory for the independent agency. What are the stakes moving forward? Is this all a done deal now? If the decision holds, it's a huge win for people who have been trying to defend the integrity of the CFPB. It basically, you know, enshrines the idea that it is a standalone agency and that it's a very tough bar to get it defanged or or removed. Yeah. Now, um, admittedly, this would have been a lot a lot bigger deal, and the stakes would be even higher if the uh, director that President Obama appointed, Richard Cordray, was still there. Sure. Now he left earlier, or he left last year, which is what we were talking about earlier. And now, presumably, President Trump will get around to appointing someone that he likes for the job, and he won't want to fire that person. But in in you know in ten years, when when th- w- it could be a totally different situation. Yeah, I but... mean, politics is 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 a long game, as we all know. You know, if Trump. Uh, the, the the directors are appointed to five-year terms, fixed mm-hmm. five-year terms. So consider if he appoints one, let's say, in the next eight months for a five-year term um, and Trump is to lose his re-election bid. And now a Democratic president is with uh, a CFPB appointee sure. who he or she uh, is probably not eye-to-eye with on the role of financial regulation. Yeah. So in the short term, you know, maybe 
the the agency's opponents wouldn't love that. Uh, but you can see it playing out, that dynamic playing out many right. years down the road. And the point is, the the independent status of the agency is is safe for now. So, so we, you said if this decision stands, how likely is a challenge here? What are we expecting moving forward? That gets a little wonky, and you and you'll notice as we've been talking, I've not talked about the merits of the case that led to this challenge, and the reason for that is. Um, the company that brought this case is a is a company called PHH Corporation, and they are a mortgage lender who was fined $109 million by the Cordray CFPB for, for doing this like mortgage insurance kickback scheme. They seem like precisely the company <laughs> that like Congress had in mind when they wrote Dodd Frank and created this agency. Definitely, <laughs> they, they 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 oversee you know retail bankers and mortgage lenders yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so they launched a fight to get that sizable penalty undone. This constitutional thing is just one argument that they put forward it's obviously a very important argument that's why it went up to the to the uh, dc circuit but also in the same opinion that found the agency constitutional um they threw out the penalty oh so they don't really have a big incentive anymore so they yeah if you're scoring at home they faulted they, they said the agency was wrong to impose that penalty but that it's 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 existence as an independent regulator is constitutionally sound that that's such an interesting procedural wrinkle. Yeah, and uh, we, we're, we're running short on time. I don't have time to go through like all of the permutations. Evan Weinberger, the senior banking reporter, wrote a great story about all the weird dynamics at play. I mean, PHH is probably not really inclined to like spend more money on the fight on ideological grounds. Even if they were, they probably would strongly not consider doing so just to just because they want to keep that 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 judgment. Thrown. They're out, and you know, and the government can't really do it because the government nominally won the case. And right. So uh, it for now it does seem safe. Uh, uh, there are some weird strands hanging out there, but if you are a person who was interested in the. Um, you know, ultimate fate of the CFPB, you appear to have some clarity on that front. A billion dollar trial between Google and Uber over self-driving car technology is set to kick off next week. It figures to be the biggest IP trial of the year and maybe the last few years. We normally have a guest at this point in the show, but since Bill Donahue, our very own, is our senior IP reporter, he's going to talk us through the case. Yeah, up-and-coming cub reporter, Bill Donahue. Happy to be me. here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought about asking him to put on, like, glasses and, like, a funny mustache and pretend to be somebody else, and I realized it's a podcast. And that doesn't yeah, really that work. doesn't help us at I all. I could be Phil Donahue. There you go. Nice. I mean, part of never, the reason... Never did that before. <laughs> but part you never heard that one growing up. Part yeah. of the reason we made this decision is because, Bill, you've been following this a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do have um, a California courts reporter who's been on the scene, Kara Bales. And she's going to keep doing that. But you've also been had your hand heavily in these stories. So we thought, who better to walk us through? Because it's pretty complicated. It is. So why don't you just set us up and kind of get people oriented about what the case is about? Right. So Waymo is Google's self-driving car unit. Yeah. And they sued Uber last year, early last year, claiming that a former star engineer, this guy, Anthony Lewandowski, had left the company with something like 14,000 confidential documents in late 2015. Yeah. At the time, the idea was Lewandowski was leaving to form his own self-driving truck startup that would deal with a lot of this same technology that he had been working on at Waymo. The plot thickened in August 2016 when Uber acquired Lewandowski's startup for $680 million and placed Lewandowski in charge of their own self-driving car. You can see where this gets a little hairy. Correct. Yeah. So 
Waymo sued early last year, claiming Lewandowski colluded with Uber, that this was sort of a plan, you know, that he would leave, take the documents, start this company, and then get bought up some X time later. Um, they say that he took this this technology that's called LIDAR. It's an acronym that's, that's Waymo's sort of entry into it's you know it's their proprietary technology that's gonna put them ahead in the self-driving car these are the lasers game. these are the lasers that like sense where sensors the car is and, on the road. and everything else yeah, yeah, yeah. so uber so important stuff uber says that they didn't do anything wrong and they've sort of consciously distanced themselves from Lewandowski we'll talk about it later but early on in this case they fired him because he wasn't participating enough and they've sort of made it made clear that they didn't do anything wrong here oh interesting so this one is big, right? Can we sort of set up the stakes here? I mean, we already know the names Uber and Google. Those are household names. So it's two titans fighting it out. Yeah. It doesn't really get much bigger than this when it comes to IP, when it comes to Silicon Valley. It's going to be in the San Francisco federal courthouse, the Mm -hmm. trial next week. Um, And yeah, like you said, it's, you know, it's Google, which is one of the, I mean, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, maybe the most important tech company in the world against Uber, who it's valued at, at something like 45 or 48 billion dollars you know it's bigger than at this point bigger than an airline um and i think more importantly even than the numbers it's this you know it's over who gets to be on the ground floor of the next transformational technology it's right it's like the next big thing we've all all seen minority report we know what's at stake here with (laughs) with the driverless cars so yeah yeah, you can't i've seen it described in other media as like a is like a perfect storm because it's two companies who are well positioned to litigate something, but also the underlying technology is so new that like it, it's really anyone's guess. So new, and it, it also makes them want to fight it out because it's really important who wins. It's, right, there's and an urgency there. Exactly, and it's not it's not just that you're gonna be. I mean, there there are a ton of damages. The damages figures are a little murky, but there's a ton of damages on the line in this case in particular. But it, as you said, it's it's almost like incalculable the value that you would get out of pushing out your competitor right. in this kind of thing. So if Uber loses this case, it's hard to even figure out how 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 important that is. And befitting a case of these stakes, there's already been some like interesting twists and turns along the way, right. which we've also alluded to in the past, but it's very helpful to refresh people. Uh, most of it centers around Lewandowski, as yeah. you said. So let's 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 unpack well, some of so, that. Well, so so we've all watched over the last year as Uber has had a very bad, no good, awful year. Yeah, yeah. Um, scandal after scandal after scandal. This case has sort of mirrored that in like it's had these crazy, you know, it's 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 very juicy to begin with. There's in the court record, there are texts between Travis Kalanick, the CEO of Uber and and Lewandowski, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 idea of this intrigue, this this spying and stealing things and, and everything else. But but as the case has gone on, it's it's had these twists and turns that have been crazy from the very get go. So. Just starting out, Lewandowski, who is at the center of this whole thing, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's important to note, is not named as a defendant. Mm-hmm. But throughout the case, he's invoked his Fifth Amendment rights to mm-hmm. not testify here. So, he, so yeah. he was deposed earlier and just didn't answer any questions. And <laughs> as I mentioned, he was fired uh, because he was not participating in, in, in Uber's internal investigations and in discovery and everything else. So... It's it's been this sort of fascinating situation where you have this this star at the center of the case, but he's saying, you know, I'm scared for my own well being and and not partaking in the case. Yeah, and Uber well and Uber's in a 
tricky spot here because they like you say they're of course they're the defendants they're they're gonna argue their innocence but right. even they seem to acknowledge that the guy at the center of the thing is like not an ideal person to be associated with your i mean they fired exactly him. like that's yeah and exactly. then we also had something that i know we've talked about in the pod before but again worth like including in this conversation, the judge has also done some unusual things in this case. Yeah, so it's Judge William Alsup, who is a known quantity in in uh, Silicon Valley. He handled Oracle, Google. Um, he, he handles a lot of these big tech ones. I mean, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. he's known for like being able to code and he's stuff like that. He's very well-versed in this kind of stuff. So the craziest, maybe the craziest thing that's happened thus far, there's been a few, but in May of last year, without really any notice, the judge referred the case to federal prosecutors for a <laughs> criminal investigation. Yeah. So just to put that in context, people will refer their case if something if trade secrets have been stolen for you, there is a criminal cause of action for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people do refer their cases to the Justice Department. But it's usually for, a party, right? Correct. It's very <laughs> bananas for a judge sua sponte to just decide to Mm-hmm. reach out to you know looking Mid-stream. at exactly yeah. so that added a whole weird stakes to this thing that you know that now there's this parallel case that's ongoing as as of this day that's that's happening in the background looking into whether or not there were any criminal violations which obviously there's a whole different burden of proof and mm-hmm. so um and it also sort of validated uh, Lewandowski's <laughs> reticence right, to, yeah, choice, exactly. Right? And it sort of makes it, you know, did he do, did he do stuff wrong? Like, if how you... much trouble might I be in here? Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, and then there was another thing too. Didn't the trial get pushed back? Correct. So the trial was pushed back. It was supposed to start in late summer. It got pushed back for another reason. In, it was supposed to again start in um, early December. Okay. Late November, Alsip suddenly, without any notice, again. Alerts the parties that he's received this letter from prosecutors, from the people who are conducting this parallel probe sort of quietly and on, on their own, saying that he had been forwarded this letter from a former um, Uber employee, sort of making these these bombastic allegations against Uber, saying that they had had that they had used technology that that deleted emails after they had sent them to yeah. cover up a paper trail that they had had this whole department <laughs> that just was designed to acquire information from other companies. So it was like, like the super secret stealing department. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. So he says, uh, guys, do we know about this letter? And <laughs> Waymo freaks out, says, why didn't you tell us about this? Uber says we didn't know about it. So long story short, the judge says, like, I can't trust either of you anymore. There were lots of great quotes at the same, at the time. And push the trial back, which is why now, February 1, we're recording this. It's about to go to trial next week. Guys, this is going to make a great movie one day. Yeah, I mean, it it's is. Got it all really is. The well, not to go backwards, but getting back to like the stakes just a little bit. That is really interesting because while this issue is not squarely, th- this is not an employment uh, case or anything like that. But there is something about the culture of Silicon Valley that's always like people are kind of coming and going and the marketplace of ideas we yeah. always hear about. It's like, well, what are the limits of that exactly? It's true. <laughs> and, and you know, we saw, we've, I alluded to earlier that, that Uber has had this difficult year and a lot of those yeah. scandals, you know, there was the gray ball thing with uh, trying to prevent authorities from, from regulating them in different cities. There was the, we had that heaven hell thing we talked about on the podcast, yep. which is where they had the um, 
it, that was a dispute with Lyft where they had this tracking software. They were tracking yeah. Lyft drivers. Yeah. And, see, but yeah. the, the, the workplace culture, everything about totally. yeah. Uber has been this, you know, breaking rules, which is sort of the Silicon Valley ethos. Not breaking, not necessarily breaking rules, but, you know, pushing things pushing to the, the limit. And mm-hmm. to their credit, it's why they have grown in such a short period of time into this massive, massive company. But now we have to face the question of, did they push too far? Did they Correct. push into illegality Correct. or were they just mavericks? And that's, and sort that's of, a tough question. That's the thing that's underlying this whole case of, you know, is it a question of the way that Uber did business? I think that's, um, you know, that's not on trial, but that's that's a thing. It's in that, the ether. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. The, as we watch this and and from a certain perspective, I mean, the 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 whole ethos of, of Silicon Valley is sort of sort of on trial here. So we've set up stakes that couldn't really be bigger and a crazy lead up to the trial. As we record this, jury selection's wrapped up. Yeah, so... they, they weeded through all the, the folks who uh, had had bad Uber experiences, I assume. <laughs> so also, they got Kara... no jurors then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Kara tweeted something really funny from jury selection. Uh, Alsip had asked one of, the, one of the potential jurors, what might prevent you from serving on this jury? And the juror said that her birthday was like on Wednesday. And he said, well, we'll, we'll get you a piece of cake. <laughs> or we'll, we'll get you cake. I, don't, I would love un- to not have to be an we adult will furnish every you, birthday. We will furnish you cake. <laughs> Unclear if that person made it on the jury. but so, yeah. so we've gotten through that. We have jurors now. What big thing should we be watching as the case moves forward? Yeah. Well, everyone should follow Kara on Twitter and mm-hmm. follow our stories. But um, I thought one interesting thing is, is, again, this thing with Lewandowski that he's invoked his fifth amendment rights here but he's on waymo's witness list yeah. so oh so can he get up there and just invoke so it again correct it's that's been, always a fun it's, little it's game of chicken called, but so but so it raises all sorts of interesting things of like it, you know if they call him and he starts invoking his fifth amendment rights does that look bad in front of jurors that he's trying to hide something so it raises it raises problems for Uber that I'm sure that they um, don't want in their case, but it's definitely something to watch. Um, Travis Kalanick is also on the the witness list, so he's gonna presumably testify at some point. A lot of um, a lot of interesting fireworks could happen in the courtroom. So, and Judge Alsop is always uh, a very entertaining uh, jurist to oversee things. I know we're gonna be watching this closely at Law 360, and everybody should follow our stories. We're gonna yep. have a lot more on this one. to end our show with something offbeat and guys i wanted to give a bit of an update as our offbeat today. yeah on what story I want to talk about dmx again yes yeah, so yeah. dmx you, is having some problems you guys is gonna give us some stories <laughs> he is <laughs> Bam. so you guys probably remember that back in november he copped to tax evasion sure yeah and that he admitted to dodging 1.7 million dollars in tax liability Whoa. he was funneling payments from his um his shows and appearances through managers who basically paid him out in cash. Yeah. So we've talked about that in the show before. Um, he's facing up to five years in prison, and his sentencing was scheduled for March 28th. Well, so if that's March 28th, what what happened this week? Exactly. So originally, Judge Jed Rakoff, who mm-hmm. people in New York know him, he's sure. a Manhattan district judge, had agreed to basically some tightened restrictions for DMX, but mm-hmm. let him stay out of jail until that sentencing. Yeah, and I remember he was still like going on tour and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. he's... Now in jail, guys. That's the bad news for DMX this week. So Rakoff jailed him 
And as he announced this in court, DMX handed his associates and his lawyers a stack of cash and then was taken off by marshals. As you would imagine this to happen for DMX. I mean, I'm sorry you went to jail, but that's a very funny but visual. Doesn't that sound like, yeah, like he like pulled it out of his pockets and whatever. So, so here's what happened. He had a long list of bail violations um, that had almost landed him in jail the last time he was at Yeah, I know he was always, he was, he was, he, like he was pushing Rakoff's buttons a little bit last time we talked he about was, this. So he had done things like test a positive for a lot of drugs cocaine marijuana opioids he traveled to visit some family in st louis when he wasn't supposed to stuff like that testing positive for coke doesn't just automatically revoke your bail it doesn't or at least it didn't until good to know now well he does have a good lawyer but good lawyers only go so far yeah so (laughs) he tested positive for cocaine again and rakoff said that wasn't even the main issue the main issue was that he decided to travel to st louis yet again And he didn't take along a drug counselor, which was something that DMX had said he would do in order to stay out of custody until the sentencing. So he violated that. Um, He was actually captured on video in St. Louis. That's how this all came to light. He was Uh, uh, buying some shots and talking about his religious faith on this video. He was at the airport, wasn't he? Yeah, he was at the airport. I mean, I got married in St. Louis, and you better believe the next morning I was at the airport buying everyone's shots and talking about my religious faith. (laughs) I don't think that's a big deal. That's just just me editorializing. We can move on. Well, a lot of things came into play here. It didn't help that when DMX appeared before Rakoff this most recent time, he was really late. So Pete Brush, our court reporter, was covering this. It, and he said that it was scheduled to start at about 11.15 in the morning and nothing got going until 12.45. You know, yeah. so. And Rakoff's kind of an ornery guy, too. Like I feel like is sort of his rep. I yeah. mean, a lot of this has just like that what you'd expect out of a celebrity or a rapper who, you know, he's pulling out cash before he gets taken into custody. Sure. He's showing up late for things. It's sort of like celebrity type behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah at play here. So Rakoff basically said he'd gone to extraordinary lengths to keep him out of custody. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rakoff said this. In return, what he said to the court was, screw you. And more importantly, his conduct shows that he's a genuine flight risk. Hmm. So basically Rakoff had had enough here. Y'all gonna make me lose my freedom, I guess. Up nice. in here. Up in here. Yeah. It's a good place to leave it off. Thanks for being with me today, guys. Thanks, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Later. We'd like to thank some other people for today's show, including our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Contributing reporters this week include Evan Weinberger, Pete Brush, Kara Bells, and Daniel Siegel. Music for the show this week comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you want to know more about any of the things we've talked about, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks and join us again next week.